Cool. Well, you know, like I said, we're trying to really just highlight the stories of people in our church. We feel like we're doing a great job serving locally and globally. Uh, so Dana, a lot of you know Dana. And, uh, but Dana, why don't you go, for, for those who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name's Dana, obviously. I've lived in Denver a little over five years now. Uh, my husband, June, and I, he preaches up here sometimes. He's, he likes being in front more than I do. Um, <laughs> we've been coming to Summit for about exactly four years now, actually, since it was just a 515 group of rebels. Um, <laughs> and now I'm here at 9 a.m. Um, so yeah, we've been here for four years. We just recently, um, in this past year, started leading a city group um, out of our neighborhood via park, which is down by like six and federal or so. Um, so yeah, I uh, for my day job, I work at a local nonprofit um, called Water for People that does water and sanitation. Um, overseas in nine different countries, um, which is fun. Um, I'm on the marketing team there, so I do a lot of writing, fundraising. Um, do get to travel and get paid to travel, so that's pretty great too. It's like the dream job for everybody in Denver. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, well, in addition to your work uh, at Water for People, you also spend a significant amount of time volunteering at the Denver County Jail. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, at the Denver County Jail, but also... Maybe just tell us, how did that start? Like, what got you into that? Yeah, so let's start with the latter part of that, and I'll try to not make it, like, a five-minute answer. Um, so, really, I, I grew up living a very, very comfortable life. Um, and when I went to college, my faith started really growing. And towards the end of college, I felt like, gosh, like, there's just still this hole in my gospel, this hole in my faith. And as I started to, to really intentionally study the gospel and study the words and actions of Jesus... Um, I felt like some of that hole was because I wasn't, I wasn't serving, and particularly I wasn't engaging with people that were marginalized or oppressed. Um, it just wasn't present in my day-to-day life. Not that it didn't exist in the towns or places I was in. I just wasn't seeking it out. Um, and there was a, a book, actually, I read by the CEO of World Vision, at least at that time, literally called Hole in, Hole in the Gospel or Hole in My Gospel that started to put to words some of that. Um, the convenience of kind of living your life without... Um, an awareness of people that are marginalized and oppressed. Um, it brings a lot of discomfort. Um, so after college, had a crisis, went and lived overseas like a lot of people do um, in terms of crisis. Um, and with the sole purpose of for six months, I lived in Thailand and just wanted to serve and learn and engage with people that were on the outskirts of society Um, Not that I couldn't have done that domestically, but really felt the Lord pressing me to do that internationally and also widen my my perspective of this world. Um, So did that. Um, It was just a really beautiful season of simplicity in my life, um, of just serving and living life alongside people um, and reliance on the spirit in that. I mean, I learned some Thai, but I wasn't going to learn it in six months, so really had nothing to offer other than the gospel, the love of God, and coming alongside people. And um, when I came back to the States, knew that's the direction my life wanted, that I wanted to take with my life. Um, that's looked like a lot of different things. It meant moving out here to Denver um, to go to grad school in international development. It's meant um, working for different local nonprofits that work on um, different issues, um, have been involved with anti-trafficking, women's empowerment, um, clean water and sanitation right now. Um, and then, yeah, most recently work at the, not work, volunteering at the county jail alongside other people um, in this church as well. Yeah, so that's also a really neat thing that you're not doing this alone, but we actually have a lot of people from our church that are a part of this 
and helping out at the yes, jail. Yes, some of whom probably even do more than I do. Yeah, some of them were <laughs> in the room actually this morning, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the side-by-side project. This is interesting because not only do you volunteer there, um, not only do you have a full-time job and you volunteer at the jail, but you're also in the process of helping start another nonprofit. Tell us about what is the side-by-side project? Why did you decide to name it that? Um, yeah, so side-by-side is what we're calling the program that we're trying to build out at the jail. I didn't actually name it, um, so I can make up a story of why I think it's called that. Um, but essentially, it's about coming alongside... But you've been a part of this from the very beginning. Right, right. Coming alongside people in jail and who are coming outside of jail, um, not as the experts in their life, but really alongside them, partnering with them to help them see and create the change, the positive change they want for their lives. Um, so really, side-by-side is about helping people transition out of jail in a way that um, not only keeps them out of jail, I mean, that's the goal, that they wouldn't return, but also that allows them to live maybe even a fuller life than they might have been able to think of for themselves. Um, the criminal justice system is just really cyclical, and a lot of people can't think outside of that. Um, so it's coming alongside encouraging people to dream, to have hopes for their lives, which is harder than it might sound in the jail setting. Um, and then accomplish that. So that's essentially what that's what we hope to do. And for the past two years, it's it's looked kind of ad hoc. There's a group of us that goes in, and I often would just I would do the intakes with people, pray with them, see if they might be a good fit for some of the other volunteers that did more um, counseling or Bible study or mentoring. Um, and yeah, as we did that and learned, really saw the need for a program to holistically support them. Um, particularly, so jails are different than prisons, which I had no idea about before I started volunteering. So people get sentenced to prisons. So you're typically, well, you can get sentenced to a jail, but if you're going to be there for a while, you're getting sentenced to prison. So most of the programming that happens in the justice system is in the prisons. It's just so much easier to program there because you have people there for years versus the jail. You might be there days or weeks or months. It's a lot more transitional. Um, So we saw the need within the lack of programming, transitional programming for people in jails, to try to turn what we've been doing on kind of this ad hoc basis into something more organized. Um, Yeah, and that still incorporates some of what we've been doing in like counseling or coaching, um, prayer. Um, There'll be some classes components, but all towards the goal of coming alongside people and helping them transition better so that they don't recidivate and that they can live a fuller life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so amazing because I hear the stories that are coming out of the work that you guys are doing out there. It's really remarkable because, uh, one, there's like a lot of different types of things that people are doing to volunteer out there. Right? You just mentioned a handful of them, whether it's uh, just going simply to pray with uh, different people there, inmates, deputies, different kinds of opportunities there, whether it's leading Bible studies, whether it's literally helping people transition out of jail back into uh, normal life. And uh, so there's a whole range of activities there. Tell me, you've been doing this for about two years now. What do you feel like, I don't know, what do you feel like has been some of those, I don't know, when you think about the most memorable things that have happened, maybe in your own life, what's changed you by doing this over the last two years? This hasn't been your job. You've not been paid to do this. This is something that you have taken upon yourself. How do you feel like you've been changed, or what do you feel like has been most memorable doing this? Um, more ways than I could even begin to talk about in probably the five minutes we have left. Um, I think um, a few main things, though. I think perhaps one of the biggest pieces, um, and this is something the Lord's been teaching me in other arenas as well, but is just a a new realization of my privilege, Um, whether that's afforded to me because of my socioeconomic status or the color of my skin or the fact that no one in my extended family has encountered the criminal justice system. 
Like when I walk through those doors of the jail, I just feel that privilege in a really huge way. Um, not in a guilt way, but just in a, I, I have to be aware of this as I'm walking into this space. Um, and it's been really neat to see the spirit move and help me realize that through the jail as well as other areas of my life. But I think the privilege also, that word has been a lesson in a different way too of just the space I get to enter into with these inmates um, is really privileged, is almost sacred in some ways, I think, um, because my background check cleared and for whatever reasons, I get to walk through two giant metal locking doors at the jail to sit across from people that are in jail, a space their families can't even go into. Um, I mean, their families can sit in the lobby and look through a grainy TV screen and a phone and talk to them. But I get to go like and sit in the flesh and talk to them and hold their hand and cry with them and pray with them and read the Bible with them. Um, and that's a really sacred space. Um, and there's something that happens there. I think it can be easy to feel like the problem is so big. I mean, at the Love Thy Neighbor dialogue last week or two weeks ago when we were talking about the criminal justice system, it's like, gosh, the problem is so big, it's hard to feel like anything we're doing matters. But then I remember, no, like, the space is sacred. And, like, to that person and that 20- or 30-minute meeting, I got to, like, bestow on them the dignity that they have. I got to share the good news of the gospel and just see that as a privilege versus feeling like it doesn't matter or feeling like I'm ill-equipped because I feel like that a lot when I go in. So privilege has been a huge theme. Um, And I think alongside with that, a big lesson in learning that I am not anyone's savior. um, And that's not the role that I'm called to play. Um, And that can be hard. We want to feel good about ourselves and feel like we're solving some big problem. But that isn't necessarily our job. That's not my job. Um, In 1 Corinthians, it talks about... I think it's First Corinthians. It's someone's job to plant and someone's job to water, but it's the Lord that makes it grow. Um, and that's been perhaps another one of the biggest lessons to realize I'm just a planter or a waterer. And that doesn't mean it's insignificant, but it means that I go in with a reliance on the Lord, on the Holy Spirit to do the work of making it grow. Gosh, I feel like that's so good and helpful because a lot of times, you know, when we feel drawn to say, hey, I really want to serve the marginalized. I really want to make a difference. I really want to impact the city. I want to do it in the most glorious possible way, right? And, uh, and I think even as you describe, like, walking through those big metal doors, uh, understandably, probably for a lot of us here, that's not, like, something that seems intrinsically appealing. You know, there's something about prison. A lot of us just don't even know. A lot of us, we're just using our imaginations. A lot of us, it's like, uh, I don't know, that's something we're trying, we've been trying to avoid the entirety of our lives, not trying to run into, and... Um, we just don't have like a, it just seems very intimidating. And uh, can you maybe, as we, as we kind of wrap it up, can you maybe just say like, what would you say to the person who's like, I really want to make a difference. I really want to reach the marginalized. I really want to impact lives. Uh, but this kind of seems intim- intimidating. And I'm not sure if this would be for me. Yeah, I mean, the jail wouldn't necessarily have to be for you. But I do feel like we are all called to care for the marginalized and the oppressed. And I feel like when I started to fill that hole in my gospel, my faith grew in an entirely new way. So I would encourage you to press into that if you're feeling that nudging and realize it, it is going to be uncomfortable. Like there's just really no way around that. It will be uncomfortable and engage with people that look a lot differently than you do, um, that come from a different people group or part of society than you do. Um, but I think, yeah, going back to what I was just saying to like, if you go in realizing you're not the savior of them and you're just there to show them the gospel, the only good news that can really change their lives, 
that kind of changes it. Like you're not, there's no pressure on you. You're not going to save them. You literally can't. That's not your job. Um, and just enter into that discomfort. And I think part of that, um, it, it means going in with a mindset of learning instead of knowing. I have no idea how to fix the entire criminal justice system. I, in most cases, have no idea what to say to an inmate when I'm sitting with them, but I want to learn about their lives. I want to listen to them. I want to hear where they're at. I want to read scripture over them. I want to pray. I just want to learn and not, if I start acting like I know where they're at, they're laughing at me. And I mean, and that actually kind of happened once. It's like, you have no, you like really don't know. I'm like, you're right. Like, I, I don't. Um, and just leaning into that and being willing to learn, being willing to not know the answers um, and relying on the work of the Holy Spirit, knowing what's, what's his to do and what's yours to do. Um, Gosh, I feel like that's so good. I feel like that's really, really helpful for any of us who are just, we're asking those questions right now. How do we, how do we do more? How do we serve in a greater way? And having that posture of learning and having that posture of, like, I have to really embrace the discomfort. I have to, like, lean into that. Um, there, there really exists no type of meaningful work that doesn't have an element of, like, this is messy and this is not glorious. This isn't, like, the Instagram-worthy type of service that we all uh, think I think secretly one. You can't actually Instagram it. You can't Instagram in the Johnny list. So, yeah. Uh, um, Dana, I think this is really wonderful. I feel like um, it's really helpful just for us to hear from you. And um, can you be available after our service in the lobby? Just to, for any of you who are interested in maybe learning a little bit more or maybe taking steps even to volunteer at the jail, Dana would love to talk to you, uh, with you after the service in the lobby. Um, as we close, what's maybe one thing that you would, uh, maybe that you would just ask that uh, we as a church would be praying uh, maybe not just for you, but maybe just what would you hope maybe the prayer of our church is when it comes to this? Yeah, I think I think that, that we would continue to be a church that's not afraid to enter into areas of discomfort, but I think also in the spirit of side by side, to be a church that comes alongside and doesn't lord anything over anyone, but realizes at the foot of the cross we're all just the same and we can listen to each other in that. Um, but I'd love to share kind of the passage of scripture that I... Um, that I most often pray over the jail, over the program we're trying to build out. I think I have no idea what I'm doing when I walk in to meet with inmates. So I just default to like reading the Bible because it can't fail. Um, That's a really good uh, idea. (laughs) um, But this is kind of the passage that most often comes to mind when I'm sitting with praying with inmates. Um, And I would invite you to pray that over our church, over what we're trying to do at the jail. Um, It's Colossians 1, 9 through 13, if you want to reference it later or pray over it. Um, But I won't read it verbatim, but essentially the Spark Notes version is asking to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge of him. Um, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his might, um, giving thanks to the Father who, who allows us to share in his inheritance, I think, for inmates. That's a huge piece. And then the passage ends with this really beautiful picture um, of being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So I pray that over myself to remind myself that, yeah, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. I pray that for um, people in jail. And I think even as a church, we can pray that. That's fantastic. Can you guys thank Dana? Dana, thank you. Um, I think that's really, really helpful, and that's beautiful, and that's, uh, that's a really high challenge, too. I feel like um, in the way of following Jesus, in the way that we 
uh, together do that as a community, and that we um, we literally side by side help care for one another, and we side by side help care for those uh, who are not even yet a part of this, um, and we look to those in our city to be able to, to really bring the good news of the gospel.